So ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Easy Conversations. I just want to start off by saying thanks a lot to everyone who listened to the last episode featuring the homie Matt and I. I hope you enjoyed listening to us do our fantasy movie draft with our dream casts. Um, if you haven't had a chance to check that one out, go back. It was a lot of good fun. And if you like that, we'll uh, try to incorporate that concept uh, a few more times down the road with uh, different topics, of course. So now for episode 84 of Easy Conversations. I'm extremely excited, of course, to be back in the studio virtually with the homie Matt. Say what's up to the people. What's going on, everybody? Hope everyone's having a good time right now. Um, yeah, thanks for everyone for listening to the last episode as well. Um, I'm very excited tonight for tonight's episode. Um, our guest reached out to us, and we're going to be talking about stuff that I like know virtually nothing about. But uh, Eric, I'll, without further ado, just intro- let us introduce our guest for us. Yeah, that's a ditto for me too, Matt. Extremely excited to bring on um, an old family friend of mine reached out to us recently to get this going. We um, tried to link up a few times in the past, didn't work out. It's all good. God works in mysterious ways, but we're making this work tonight. So we're bringing on, like I said, old friend of mine will um, be talking to us about his work in the group home setting as a key worker, I believe. So ladies and gentlemen, introducing to the podcast, the homie Dallas Dunn. Say what's up to the people. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Uh, Happy to be on the pod. Super happy to have you, Dallas. I'm just going to dive right into it. Seeing as this is a topic that Matt and I really are not well versed in, thought a good place for us to start would be to talk about your background and where the interest came from to work in the group home setting as a key worker, as you mentioned to me via text. What is a key worker and why did you decide to pursue this career path? Yeah, so I'll I'll tackle the titles first because I think that's a, a huge spectrum along all within every single agency that you work with. Um, we have different terminology, different titles for everything. So um, in the current setting I'm in right now with Burncroft Residential Services, uh, we use the term key worker, and that just describes like a two client key worker. So I'm like their primary caregiver. I book their appointments. I deal with lawyers. Um, I'm I'm the first guy that their guardians go to. Uh, I develop their quarterly progress reports. I, you know, they, they are my primary focus, whereas I'm in, working in a residential setting with six clients that live here. Uh, there are two that are my primary focus. Um, in other group homes, you'll, you'll have the title like primary caregiver, etc. So yeah, so that's the whole title fiasco. And then the background, how I got into it. I think like a lot of people that get into this field, they start out volunteering. And for me, it started back in high school when I volunteered uh, with best buddies during my lunch period. Um, it was just kind of like a fun thing to do. My my girlfriend at the time, she was a very nice girl. And, you know, she did a bunch of volunteer activities and she introduced me to best buddies. And it was so fun. I took it like a du- uh, duck takes the water. I just got in there and found out that all these kids just, you know, wanted to have fun and wanted to, you know, play games and it was really cool for me because at the time I was working in a daycare. So it was a familiar, uh, familiar setting for me and just really interesting. And then that sparked an interest, which turned into a roaring flame. And from there, I went on to continue in childcare, in daycares, summer camps, uh, hockey camps. Uh, and then from there, I went on to uh, college and I went into developmental service work. And uh, developmental service work, what it is, is 
also like the whole title fiasco, it's a, it's a huge spectrum. So in my field, which can be summed up as group home work, if you, if you want to call it that, it doesn't really have like a set term. You can either be a DSW, which is a developmental service worker where you're kind of working in like, you know, rehabilitating, uh, motor functioning skills or making sure that, uh, you know, people with disabilities maintain their, their motor functioning skills. Um, and also sometimes their social motor skills. Um, it also teaches you about uh, intertubular feeding. So that's for total care. And what total care is, is when there's somebody that's completely, completely disabled and they're stuck to a, a, either a wheelchair or they're stuck to a, 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 a bed, like a medical bed. And then we go into the PSW aspect, which is a personal support worker. And a personal support worker is somebody that's just a caregiver, essentially. And they're there to um, take care of whatever needs to be done. Um, normally, hygiene, routine, cooking, cleaning, you know, keeping them out of harm's way. Uh, and then we get into more my setting, which is a residential counselor or a behavioral counselor. So the clientele I work with, they're all high functioning. They're all capable of maintaining their hygiene. They're all capable of cleaning their rooms, etc. Although I have worked in those settings as well. Um, I started out in those settings. But as you gain more experience and you gain more competence, um, you, you start to work in these settings where it's more dangerous, but it's more rewarding because the progress is observable. You know, you get to see it, whereas like in, in those other settings, it's kind of just maintaining um, as they age. Um, but in this in this dynamic, it's more observable in in, in terms of, I get to give them feedback and give them advice on something and I get to see it flourish the next day when I when I notice them developing uh, better habits and better routines. And so what we work off uh, here is called ABA and that's Applied Behavioral Analysis. So how it works is we'll observe a behavior that happens throughout the day um, and we'll write it down in our observations in, our, in, in their respective data binders. Each client has their own data binders. Um, and so we'll write about it in their observations. And then from there, I'll bring it, me, the two other key workers, who one of them is a senior residential counselor, and then the supervisor will meet with a clinician, a residential clinician, and the program manager. And we'll bring up, okay, listen, you know, uh, Billy or, or whoever is, is, um, doing this, this behavior. He's, uh, let's say he's talking to a wall every day. Okay. Uh, that's abnormal behavior for Billy. Normally he doesn't talk to walls, you know? So, okay. So we write down his obs and then we bring it to a meeting. Okay. We call it clinical or sorry, we call it consult, but we bring it to the clinician. And so we go to consult and we, we bring this up and then from there, okay, okay, this keeps happening. This happens every week. Okay. Let's make it, let's turn it into a BA. So BA is a behavior analysis. And then, so that's where we really dive into it. So every time he talks to the wall, now we go by ABC data, which is antecedent behavior and consequence. So now we're talking about, okay, so what's the antecedent? How did it get to the point where he started talking to that wall? What happened before that? You know, who was there during that, that behavior? And then we talk about the behavior itself. What did he say to the wall? You know, um, and so we follow up on that. And then finally, uh, the consequence, how did staff respond to, to exhibit A talking to the wall, right? From there, then we can go, okay, this keeps happening when this, it, when this is around or that's around. We kind of figure out how it catalyzes 
from that point, we, we turn it into a, a BSP, which is a behavior support plan. And we're able to instill a routine that rewards him when he doesn't talk to walls. And it, it, it's essentially a form of operant conditioning. And we get to condition this client to extinct these maladaptive behaviors. And extinction is just a, a psychological term uh, used for when you have a behavior that you normally do, but then you don't because, you know, you've learned, you've been conditioned not to. You know, you get rewarded when you don't talk to walls. So now I don't want to talk to walls. They might not consciously know why they don't want to talk to walls anymore, but they, they definitely do enjoy consciously the reward they get for not talking to walls. Um, and so at that point, once we've established that BSP and they're consistently uh, succeeding, um, and this is what I talk about when, you know, it's observable, it's practical, you get to really do it. Um, at that point, we just turn it into a routine and it just goes into like his helpful hints. And then that's for new staff to come in and understand that routine and understand, you know, that behavior um, and who that client is as, as a person. But it's way more hands on. It's way more high functioning. It's way more rewarding. And I've done the PSW. I've done the DSW. I've I've sat there with paraplegic and, you know, done his physio of bringing his leg from his his stomach outwards to, to avoid muscular atrophy. Um, I've done the atypical autistic six foot four kid. Uh, who just completely crapped his pants and started eating it um, and putting it on you. I've done the restraints four times a day. I've done the suppository PRNs. I've done everything there is to do in this field. Um, and this is by far the most, the most rewarding, hands down. You said a lot in there, Dallas. I feel like that was a master <laughs> class in uh, like breaking down all the titles and responsibilities. And mm. I was going to ask, like, where do you see yourself going on? You mentioned a spectrum of like there's a lot of – different areas that you could specialize in. And it sounds like you've kind of found your, your area of expertise where you wanted to get to and like don't really strive to get anywhere else. Is that correct? Or are you, I understand you're still studying as well. Like, are you also trying to get to another level? Yeah. So I'm currently doing a BA at Carleton in psychology. Um, but uh, listen, sky's the limit, right? Um, I think you should always, no matter what profession you're in, always strive for more mm -hmm. regardless of how satisfied you think you might be. But even then, like the hierarchy here is like I could, you know, you're you're supposed to want to from key worker go to SRC, senior residential counselor, and then from there go to supervisor and then from there go to program manager or, you know, something else or, or HR or something. But for me personally, no, like I want to pursue something, you know, with, with people who don't have disabilities and people who are higher functioning and who maybe deal with depression, anxiety. Uh, more common um, mental illnesses that I think are really prevalent now. And I did mention in a text to you how COVID had affected um, everybody and how I think that, you know, that's definitely a, a talking point is because we're, we're seeing a, a skyrocket uh, of um, mental illnesses uh, throughout society of people with depression, social anxiety, um, also, uh, you know, su substance abuse disorders, um, so I, I don't know. I want to do something. I, I'm not sure what I really want to specialize in yet, but I definitely know that I just want to keep helping people because it's so rewarding. It gives me so much in life. Um, it's something I've loved to do ever since I was in high school when I started Best Buddies, when I started working at Ray Friel before and after care or Ray Friel uh, summer camps um, with the city of Ottawa. Uh, but also I would love to teach psychology as well. I could talk about psychology all day. It's kind of an, a, an obsession. So 
like I said, sky's the limit. I don't know where I'm going to go, but I know wherever I land, it, it'll be nice. Okay. Well said, well said. I got a question for you, Dallas. Like, for yeah. someone who'd be interested me, in Matt. this... If someone someone interested in this line of work, like, what would you tell them? Like, what's the biggest attribute or quality that you need to become, like, a PSW or, a, like, in your line of work? Like, what would you say are the biggest things you need? Patience. Patience and a really good routine... I think those are the two most important attributes for sure. Um, two m most important virtues. Uh, you need a good routine because if you don't have a good routine, and I'm not talking about like, uh, you know, I get up at seven and I go to bed at 10 routine. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about you need good sleep. You need good diet. You need good exercise. You need to be the best version of yourself you can be because those setbacks or those things that you're lacking are going to drag you down. Because you're going to keep feeding into those addictions or those maladaptive behaviors that you have because this job is really stressful. And so how you deal with that stress defines your longevity in your career here. You know, so what I do is I use I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the term uh, coined by Sigmund Freud. It's called sublimation. And so sublimation, what it is essentially is it's just a way, an avenue for you to um, take your stress and put it somewhere. You know, because regardless, it's going to boil over. It's going to come out. Um, and so if that stress comes out, it's, you know, for example, the, the common example is like a, a guy goes to work and he gets yelled at by his boss. He can't yell back at his boss because he's going to get fired. Right. So he internalizes it and then he goes home and his dog barks and he kicks the dog. And even though like that's complete overreaction, uh, but he's taking out that that anger and he's displacing it onto the dog. So sublimation would be more the beneficial approach, which would be like you go home, the dog's barking, you internalize that as well, and then you go to the gym and you work out and you get it out in the gym. Or you go paint a beautiful picture and you get it out painting a beautiful picture. Or you go watch your favorite movie and you get it out watching your favorite movie. Uh, or you play music. The list goes on. There are tons of tactics that you can use to sublimate that stress and to get it out of your system. And I think that's a strategy that everybody can use uh, every day in life. Wow, great answer. I I do the same thing, Dallas. Like, frustration gets all like taken out at the gym for me, and then when I'm done, it's all like gone. And it's all about controlling your controlling your emotions for me. And I like I think about that every time I have an interaction at work. Like, just compose yourself. And, and yeah, listen, if you have a hairpin trigger, you will not last long in this industry. Um, whatsoever, you won't even last a month because, you know, these kids and some of them are kids, most of the, all of the, well, one of them's a kid uh, that lives here, but, um, all the others are adults. Um, and listen, like I've worked, like I said, I've worked, you know, with low functioning, I've worked with all ages, I've worked with children. Um, some of them are adorable when you first meet them, you know, and I, and it's kind of, I think it's, I'm speaking for a lot of PSWs, DSWs, residential counselors, behavioral counselors, et cetera. When I say that um, they get annoyed when they go with their client or their participant or their patient, whatever term, that's another term that's a spectrum. Uh, but when they go with their clients in public and people come up to their client, they go, oh, you're so cute. like, And they feed into all these maladaptive behaviors of like narcissism or, you know, whatever this client has, which is going to spiral into something else later in the day because they have all this energy and all this attention that they had throughout the day and you're like no please like don't feed into it like 
You're just making him like energetic and making him redevelop these bad behaviors. And so, you know, these kids, they are cute, but you can't treat them like they're kids or like they're stuffed animals, you know, because they're not what they are. They're 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 work in progress is what they are, you know. So I think it helps to to develop that patience over time to overcome that for sure. So, yeah, you mentioned that you were the primary caregiver for two of these six. I mean, I don't know if they're, if they're all kids there. You said that some of them, most of them are adults there. One is kid, yeah. What is the age range that you typically see? And like, how difficult is that, I guess, to be that primary gear, caregiver for these people who have that hole in their lives, I guess, are missing on the primary caregiving side? Do you kind of like form that relationship with them where you kind of see them as maybe your kid and my, my way off here because my experience with like group oh. homes really stems from like the movie short term 12 is like the most, I don't know if you've seen that movie there. And I kind of saw that as like, it's a, um, it's a group home where the kids leave when they're 18 years old, but it sounds like there are kids who are short term 12, short term 12. Yeah. Now. Okay. So you're completely right. I think, uh, from what I'm assuming short term 12 is, um, it sounds like you're describing it pretty well, but, um, it is just like that. Um, if the government deems that person competent, um, so it's all up to the ministry's discretion. So they will send somebody in, a social worker or a psychologist, psychiatrist, etc., and they will analyze if that client or that person is competent. And once they do turn 18, they do have the option to leave. So I'm assuming that's what short term 12 is, is it's uh, foster kids or et cetera, or kids with, you know, um, delinquency issues and they're in group homes. And then once they turn 18, they leave or they, they make the choice to leave or not. Is that is am I? I forget, Matt, if they have a choice to leave or not. It's from what I remember, once they turn 18, they kind of have to move out is what I'm remembering. Move on to a different. Yeah, they have to either get transferred or they get their deemed adequate like it's been a while since i watched the movie too eric yeah i've never seen it it sounds great like i'm definitely gonna put it on my watch list it's a great movie but uh it it is similar to that um so for example one of our clients he's 17 but he'll be turning 18 this year i think um and he'll make that decision he'll meet with his social worker and he'll make that decision of like do i want to stay in this group home or not but afterwards where he goes i mean it's gonna be either a similar setting like this or maybe more semi-independent. Uh, I'm assuming it would be more semi-independent and then they would kind of land him a job and get him to be completely self-sufficient. Um, and from there, he, you know, he would live, he would live a completely independent lifestyle. But for us, for, for my clientele mainly, they're not deemed competent. Um, they're either serious offenders criminally you know, we have some clients who have done GTA. We have some clients who have done um, pedophilia, uh, rape, uh, sexual assault. So some pretty serious, serious um, material here. And they're just not deemed competent and not because of those crimes, because I'm sure as you guys are all familiar with the case of Vincent Lee in 2015, when he um, beheaded a man on the Greyhound bus um and cannibalized him uh and he was deemed not criminally responsible due to a mental disorder uh and he was recently released i think uh maybe in 2019 or something uh but um but yeah like uh you know that that's a that's an example of a person who's done a horrible crime 
but was eventually given um, independence uh, to live a, a fulfilling lifestyle without the uh, restraints of a group home or a mental health facility uh, monitoring them on a constant basis. I have another question, Dallas, for you. Um, what's the fine like? What fine line do you have to play like within? Um pertaining to like getting how attached do you get to these people and like stay on the outside because eventually they might leave and like do you and taking work home with you like are, are do you how much does it affect you in your home life like do you get like frustrated if you've had like where where's the balance in all of this oh it's such a delicate balance that's such a great question matt it is such a delicate balance the whole time uh if like i said if you're lacking in any other department within your life um, then most of the time you're just going to teeter, o- teeter over. So let's say I smoke cigarettes, for example, which I don't. Um, but let's say I do. I start working here. I guarantee you I'm going to start smoking twice as much because that's, that's an area, de- a department where I'm kind of weak in and I allow myself. That's one of my vices. So you're not allowed many vices if you work in this industry is what I'm illustrating. Because if you do, those vices are going to eventually take over. And you're going to develop an issue, you know, which is the case with a, a lot of, you know, uh, my past co-workers um, and a lot of people who do work in this industry. What was your first question, Matt? Again? Oh, yeah. Developing the attachment. I think I used to develop an attachment, but it didn't last long. I think within the first week, the client punches you in the face and you immediately realize like this is not like a stuffed animal, like I said, you know, but. When people meet your client on a first day basis, you know, where they just meet them for the first time, they treat them like a little kid and they think they're innocent and they think they're harmless. But in most cases, they're not. There's a reason they're in care. Um, and it's called a group home because these clients are grouped together for similar behavioral tendencies. So in my house and in most cases, in most group homes, the big guys, the big staff are put into the most dangerous houses. Because we're the most capable, um, you know, uh, and that's nothing against women working in the industry. They are fantastic and they dominate the industry. I think it's like 80 percent to 20 percent and they do a, a fantastic job. But it's just a dangerous environment. We've had women who have come and worked with our clientele. And in most cases, they're attacked. And, you know, it's just unnecessary to put them in harm's way. But anyway, to get back on track, um, you do develop a connection briefly. But if you work with that client for long enough, you you almost immediately realize, oh, okay, this person is capable of some very dangerous stuff, and I need to treat this as a, a as serious as possible, or else I'm at risk of endangering myself. That seems super stressful. Like I, if I like I'd always have like be kind of like on high alert. Like don't, don't like don't let my guard down. Like you might like do you always have to have like some sort of guard up, Dallas, or? Just me- like mental readiness or even like physical readiness sometimes. Matt, I'm not sure if Eric's told you or anything, but um, but I did some boxing. I used to be a oh, boxer. I did, uh, did a bit of boxing. I'm not even sure if Eric knew. No, no, I knew um, like rugby. I'm pretty sure too, right? You played rugby at a somewhat yeah, high rugby, level. obviously hockey, hockey yeah. as well. I played a lot of hockey, so okay. the roughest sports essentially. Yeah. Um, and so over time in these sports, you develop kind of this alpha male mentality of like, you know, I'm the king of the hill, you know? And so, uh, I think it's an avatar, James Cameron's avatar, Canadian legend, uh, James Cameron, but I think it's an avatar when, um, the main character says, you know, he's talking about the biggest bird 
and he so and he says if I was the biggest bird, I why would I look up? You know, why would I look behind yeah. my back, etc. Yeah. That's the mentality I have. Is that I I don't really worry behind my back, and it's a dangerous mentality at the same time because I could easily be attacked. But it I feel, and this is just a theory, but I feel like if I have that mentality and I have that confidence, it's exuded off of me, and they get that mentality that I am you know in charge and you know I'm strong enough to to be invincible, and they kind of believe that a little bit. And uh, but of course, mainly Matt, I think this is the most honest answer to your uh, to your question. Every client in a group home setting like this will test you at least once, oh, okay. and once they realize that it results in you know in them being restrained, um, then they immediately are conditioned to understanding the hierarchy, um, and they understand that it's just not going to work out for them, and so they just don't try again typically. And these guys aren't hitting the gym five times a week either, you know, so it's not like they're, uh, they're, you know, feeling tough or anything and they think they can take you. It's usually just some emotional, you know, baggage that they've built up and then they end up displacing it onto you or something. Uh, so, so yeah, it, honestly, like the, these guys don't have the energy to go 12 rounds. So it usually happens once and then once they know, okay, it's, it's doesn't go my way, you know, it's, that doesn't work, mm-hmm. you know, I can't take Dallas, so then they just usually don't try again. Sometimes they do, though, and that sucks, because you do get sucker punched in the face, yeah. which I have been, like, can't even count how many times. So again, kind of bringing it That's back wild. to what Matt asked earlier there about, like, advice for people getting into this field, and maybe for some who aren't necessarily big bird, alpha dogs, just, you know, just person running the show, how would you recommend them to prepare themselves for these situations where they'll definitely need to deal with conflict, like physical altercations? Do you often, like, I'm assuming you do there, but rely on your other coworkers, like, in your house as a support system? Like, how well do you work off one another in some of those yeah, situations? Yeah, great, great intuition there. Um, you do definitely rely off your coworkers uh, the majority of the time, for sure. I like to think that I'd be okay without my coworkers as well, but um, yeah, no, you you need your coworkers. In most cases, uh, for most restraints, you need at least two people per restraint. So we're trained on what's called CPI, which is Crisis Prevention and Intervention, and essentially it's just a it's a a myriad of restraint techniques, um, and these restraint techniques are implemented to be the least the least um, What's the word? Invasive. Um, the least invasive as possible. So we're not applying our weight on top of them. Like you see, I think in most cases, uh, people see like when they think restraint, they think of maybe a police officer arresting somebody. And you, you see those crazy videos of like the, the knee on the back and knee on the neck. Like I grew up watching cops and it was like pretty brutal back in the day for like classic cops. It was pretty brutal. Um, you know, they didn't really play by the book or play by the rules. Um, but you, for us, it's only by the book, only by the rules. And uh, you can't deviate from that. Um, and if you do feel at risk, then usually call the police. Um, and that's that's the course of action in most cases, is if you do feel like you can't handle it, and typically you'll announce, I, I'm abandoning, I'm abandoning. And, and so I've seen that in, in some cases where somebody abandons a restraint and they go, I'm not even trying because I'm going to get my ass kicked. And then they call the police or they try to get another staff member and they try to team up. And because like 
I've been to houses where there's six foot five, two hundred and twenty pound men who are atypical autistic or autistic in general, and they don't know their own strength, mm. and they're working with tiny women, and they just get like beat up on. And it's like, holy cow, like, this is, this is brutal, you know, and then you have to jump in and try to help them, try to save them. And, and in most cases, it just doesn't result in, in a, in a great scenario for, for anybody. Uh, it's not safe for the client because you can't half-ass a restraint. You know, you need to do it by the book. You need to make sure that, you know, everything's being followed. So sometimes it's just best to call the police and have them handle it. Um, which we hope it doesn't escalate to that. Um, for me, it's never escalated to that, but, I've also seen in some cases, like I have a million stories, so I'll try not to ramble, but I've seen in, you know, a lot of cases where I, I used to work in a day program. So I, like I said, I've done every position. I've worked in day programs. I've worked everywhere. A day program is like a little school setting. So after you turn 21 special needs, they go to day programs. I worked at a day program and this girl who was doing like a placement, I think from Carlton. And she was this tiny little girl, I think maybe five foot six, um, you know, probably a buck 20 soaking wet on a good day. Uh, and this, this girl, this other woman who was a client, but she had schizophrenia. Um, and I work with a bunch of schizophrenics here. Uh, she took a water bottle, like a metal water bottle filled with water. It must have weighed like five pounds, 10 pounds, and just hit her in the back of the head with her, knocked her out cold. Uh, she was never the same afterwards. Um, same with, yeah, clients attacking people with rakes. It's, I've seen some brutal stuff. Um, and some people who got injured on the job and never returned, and they were never been the same. Speaking of like uh, Dallas, you say you've you've you're like a grizzled veteran. Your own words, uh, like at the start, was it was it a struggle to at, at when you're not at work to like shut your brain off and like not think about work? And were you able to like go to bed at night and not like like did you ever have a little bit of anxiety when you started in this profession? Yeah, I think in my first year, I cried in my pillow once. Um, and I think I was like 21, so pretty old to be crying in your pillow. But, uh, listen, like I boiled over I, at the time I was working with the worst, I, I shouldn't say the worst. We, we tip, we try not to speak in like negative terminology when we're talking about the job, but I would say the most challenging client I've ever worked with at the time. Um, and I was just over encumbered. Uh, it was just too much. Uh, I was dealing with like countless restraints every day. Uh, his restraint protocol was the most invasive I've ever dealt with. We were handcuffing his hands to his belt, putting a helmet on him, putting mittens on him, you know, throwing him into a padded room, uh, giving him four different types of depressants to calm him down. Um, and then finally we would do a suppository where we would literally hold him down, pull off his pants and put a, uh, a PRN, as it's called, which is just a nurse or doctor terminology for prescribed as needed. And uh, we would put that PRN, which was, I think, trazodone or something, which is just a depressant, put it up his rectum, and that would immediately dissolve into the bloodstream and uh, calm him down. So when you're 21 and you're dealing with that on a daily basis, yeah, you bring it home and you yell at your parents or you get into fights at school or at a bar, you know, you, you do bad things, but you immediately learn on your feet and you learn it's either sink or swim. I chose to swim. 
and uh, I left all the the childish behaviors of displacing, um, you know, back when I first started, and I decided to embrace the sublimation, you know, afterwards. I don't, there's no way in hell I could do this profession just in terms of, like, I'd just be thinking about work too much at home, and, like, I don't know, you have to be mentally tough. Yeah, Matt, that's a great point, but I think it's the same for a lot of professions in the healthcare field or in policing. I don't think people give, uh, and not to teeter off on a completely different subject, you know, different, a uh, completely different trajectory, but I don't think people give police officers, for example, enough credit. Um, and I've never been a police officer. I really don't know what it's like. I've also never been a criminal, so I don't know what it's like. That that's somebody who deals with, and we'll speak in the most basic of terminology because I think it's the simplest way. That's somebody that deals with the most negativity on a regular basis, which is what I was dealing with. I was dealing with just negativity after negativity, you know, just negative experiences, nothing beneficial about them. That client I was working with was atypical autistic. That was what he was diagnosed with. Um, there was no getting better. There was no rehabilitating. There was just maintaining his 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 motor skills, his motor functioning skills, you know, placing a, a triangle shape into a triangle hole, you know, for example, um, having him bounce on a trampoline, taking him out on walks, you know, and that was a case where he wasn't admitted by, you know, the ministry or by the government. His parents just couldn't deal with him. He would attack his mom every time he would see him. So to see the depression on his parents' face when they would come visit him and she comes to say hi to her kid, her only son, and he attacks her and he babbles and screams at the window and that's her kid and she has a completely high functioning daughter and you know they have no disabilities you know in the in the history of the family it was just a one off to see the depression of the parents which is uh, something you deal with a lot is like you get to see the parents in most cases and to see them and how how they cope with it it's just constant negativity and um i think for doctors as well i mean like dealing with somebody who's dying of cancer or you know trying to or diagnosing somebody with you know the hiv virus you know like how do you how do you deal with that afterwards how do you cope with that i think there's tons of different strategies and i think that's the uh, great question is like how do you deal with it for me personally it's exercise it's social life it's disconnecting leaving at home, not talking about work once I'm at home or once I'm out of work, getting enough vitamin D. So I take, I take supplements. I take vitamin D, fish oil, vitamin C, making sure my vitamins are good. Um, good diet, clean diet. I don't drink milk. I don't take artificial sugar or, or cane sugar, or any sucrose. Um, I don't eat bread. I don't eat pasta. Uh, I don't drink pop. So, you know, all of these, all of these attributes, all of these virtues that you can encompass to make you a better person is the, really the only way to survive. Um, otherwise you just give in to all of these vices and it just takes over your life and you start to feel like quitting, you know. Perfectly said, Dallas. I'll just throw in there really quickly there. And like over the last month, I've also cut out like bread and sugar and I feel much better. So if anyone out there is kind of struggling with like getting into a, good rhythm like for proper eating or just like to help your mental state too like cutting a few of those vices out like you said that it actually really makes a difference just throw that in there i do want to add though also like more on like your works topic there like you mentioned like now your day-to-day is a little not as rough as it was when you're 21 like what's the day-to-day like i know you alluded to it a little earlier there but what are your day-to-day activities like now and like what are your hours like while you're at the group home are you there the crack of dawn to like late at night or like 
what is that like for you so so yeah so the burden continues because the next hardship is that it's a lot like nursing and a lot like any other healthcare profession it's shift work so i'm not sure if you can see behind me but there's a bed that's because we sleep here sometimes because we have to it's called a sleeper shift and then there's also a person upstairs called the ova overnight awake you know it's like rolling the dice Sometimes you get snake eyes, sometimes you get gangbusters. Sometimes you end up with an OVA in that week and you got to stay up all night. And then sometimes you got to work the next day too. Um, yesterday, for example, I worked uh, 15 hours, 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, and that's a commonality, right? So I'm doing, so my, my uh, contract is, I'm a key worker, so I'm, you know, salaried and uh, I'm doing 40 hours a week. And how you make up that 40 hours is up to your supervisor. You know, if she goes, hey, yeah, you're working all weekend this week. Or if she says, oh, you know what, you're just doing, you know, two 15-hour shifts uh, back to back, you know, and then one 10-hour shift later later on the week, then that's how that's how the cookie crumbles. You know, it, you, you have no choice about it. Um, sometimes, depending on the supervisor, you can work out a, you know, a schedule if you have kids, you know. Um, but I have no kids, so I have really no excuse other than I'm in school. So my supervisor gives me, um, you know, the, uh, the, the time off for, for my classes, but that's about it. Otherwise, I'm, I'm at work. And uh, the day-to-day, pretty routine, and, you know, that's pretty normal. Um, I think that's the best word to sum it up is routine. Uh, it's like a prison or, you know... I, not to make it seem like a prison, it's not. The whole reason for group homes was to escape the insti- uh, institution. It's it's very routine, so everything's very habitual. Everybody knows the routine, and it, that's actually very productive. And uh, you know, it's it's easier for especially people with autism and just you know consistency and knowing what to expect. And I think that's the same with everybody. Just knowing what to expect and uh, having that routine, so you get up and you know exactly what you have to do, your chores, etc. And just maintaining, um, you know, the routine and making sure everybody's doing what they need to do. Um, and then administering the medication at the appropriate time. Um, and then also staff make the dinners as well. So, yeah, there's tons of stuff that, like, comes up throughout the day. Like, they have a doctor's appointment or you have to take this client to work. But most of the day is just kind of, you know, hanging around, observing, uh, you know, what behaviors are being uh, are being enacted throughout the day. Um and uh and yeah just making sure everybody sticks to routine wow just just to add on like the routine and again i'll talk about myself really briefly here the last few days i've actually after my work my shift is done at four i've written out like during my lunchtime like tasks i want to get done during the evening and assigning time slots for each of these things so from four to four forty i'm working out four forty to five thirty is dinner i'm not going to go on until like i go to bed there but essentially with a little wiggle room in there, you don't want to be too rigid there, still live in the moment and stuff. But by giving a specific time for a certain activity, I got everything done. Bang, 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 just quick things. And it's like a little life hack I'm just throwing in there as well. Helps with productivity. I completely agree. Yeah, 100%, Eric. I completely agree. Like having a routine outside of work as well is is another, what Matt said, like, a, you know, one-on-one how to survive group home life that that's essential is like having an outside routine of something you can stick to and like having that those habits where it's just you're just able to put yourself on autopilot you know and you get up and you just know exactly what you have to do you know there's no ifs ands or buts there's no questioning you know uh should i do this should i do that 
It's for me personally, I've for the last five years, I've had the exact same thing for breakfast and lunch. Um, and I just get up and I know exactly, you know, the vitamins I have to take, vitamin D, calcium, B, etc. Trust me, there's a lot of magnesium. I could go on. Um, but, uh, I don't take any funny stuff. Though. No, no Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, and then I have an orange, I have a banana, and I have a cup of nuts, like mixed, uh, Colorado, uh, spring trail mix. And for me, that's, that's, it's just nice. You know, it's just nice to, you know, know your routine. You get up. It's like, you know, maybe your grandfather, you know, would always get up and read the news and, you know, break up the newspaper, have a cup of coffee. It's just nice. It's like, you know what they do. You know, you know who they are. You know, it's rather than always having to guess what to do and what's next, what's next. It's like, you know, it's nice to settle down. For sure. The only thing with that, though, is that when you travel, which I know that you do, you stick to that routine. Like, is the banana, orange, and Colorado trail mix, are they making the trip as well? Uh, normally, yeah, okay. they do make the trip. Um, but I'm not a, you know, I, I don't have OCD or anything. Okay. Like, I obviously I'm flexible. Uh, you know, like when I went to Spain, and I frequent Spain a lot. I've been four times. A lot of bread, a lot of pasta. You know, not a big bread or pasta guy. But hey, if, you know, my girlfriend's mom makes, uh, you know, a beautiful uh, bocadillo, which is just like a sandwich, uh, then yeah, okay, I'm going to, I can't deny the bocadillo, you know, I'm going to disrespect the mother-in-law like that. Not going to disrespect, of course, you know, I'm eating it, you put it on my plate, yeah, it's going in my stomach, for sure. (laughs) Good stuff. That I can relate to. (laughs) Are there any other than like exercising and everything you mentioned, Dallas, any other like hobbies that you have that like it's your it's your time away from work and you don't I, I know you must not have a lot of spare time right now with school, right? Like, I don't even know how you squeeze in your uh, full time job, school, social life. Like it's yeah, it's impressive. I mean, rigid scheduling probably, right? Key, you should see my spreadsheet. Yeah, it's insane. Oh. Glad you could squeeze this in. That's your schedule, man. You had to go on the oh, calendar, like though. four weeks in advance. That's why. <laughs> yeah. Like what are you um, some of your But yeah, my other my my other activities, my extracurriculars um like you guys, big movie buff, uh nice. big cinephile. I love movies um almost to the point where it's like a maladaptive behavior because uh, you know, it, it's so easy to just get wrapped up in like, oh my gosh, I need to binge watch all of Tarantino's or I need to binge watch all of Christopher Nolan's. You know, it's so easy to just like get wrapped up even in a genre like black exploitation or, you know, Kung Fu. It's, uh, so for me, I try to balance out like at least like a, a movie a week or something. And I'll write a, a, you know, a real good disconnect for me is writing a good review about a movie. I have, 24 followers, I think, on Letterboxd, and I know you guys, you know, participated in the Letterboxd uh, phenomenon at one point in your lives. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think I have 25 followers, maybe. Um, none of them like my reviews <laughs> out of the 25. I don't know if they don't see them. I don't know what happens, but I never get a single like on my reviews. And I've written over, I think, 120 reviews now at this point. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, a lot. You should check them out. They're not bad, I will. in my I'll re-download Letterboxd and toss you some likes. That's <laughs> disrespectful right there. Because I actually, I know the struggle too. I wrote like pretty long reviews too. And like I would get a couple likes, no big deal. But I also had like nine followers there. So there's good odds I'll get one or two. But yeah. That's great odds. 
Yeah. And so, so that's the thing. So, I mean, I, I just write reviews and that's a great way for me to completely disconnect. Like I'll, I'll read about the movie's backstory, its production, its reception, uh, its budget, its ROI, return on investment, you know, how well it did it in the box office versus, you know, its budget. Um, I'll really dive into it. And for me, that's a great escape. Uh, honestly, like my reviews are very in depth. Usually I throw a couple jokes in there. I try to keep the mood light. Um, but to no avail, I get zero likes. Uh, my girlfriend likes every, every single review, but, uh, you know, I think it's just cause she feels bad for me. Yeah. Would you- uh, other than that, um, exercise sports, um, play Ottawa footy sevens. I normally frequent the beer league and the hockey pool. Um, I, uh, I, you know, I bike with my girlfriend. I, I used to do boxing. I don't do boxing anymore. I, it just takes way too much time and effort. Uh, that is a dedicated sport, so you do have to really apply yourself. But uh, I still, you know, box uh, with myself. I still, you know, keep my keep my chops up. Um, but yeah, exercise. I exercise five days a week, um, and like, you know, pretty consistently. Like, I definitely make some progress. But it's all about hitting flow state, obviously. You know, for us, a hobby. Uh, 85 percent rule. If you want to go by Hugh Jackman or or the eighty twenty rule. Um, so uh, there's sure. you know tons of different Tons of, tons of different uh, approaches to, to, to uh, you know, hitting flow state. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with flow state, but it's all about not burning out versus zero productivity. So it's just, you know, in the middle, you know. Sweet spot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, do that a little bit. Um, what else? Movies, no video games, don't have time. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know what else. I, psychology, honestly. Like school for me is a great disconnect. Like I love studying. I love reading my textbook. It's really interesting to me. I'll, I'll read a chapter and then that night I'll be talking about it with my girlfriend at dinner and I'll be saying like, oh my gosh, this new concept that I learned, you know, how it applies to everyday life and, you know, how it can be beneficial. Uh, talking about neurology and talking about, you know, the heavy and learning rule, how we learn things, how we develop new synapses, you know, synaptic pruning, how we, uh, how we, uh, uh, remove old synapses and, and, you know, different, uh, different things. Um, so I think that's just my disconnect for sure. It's just, I, I, I think it was Jack Dempsey who had the quote where he said, um, by throwing myself into different things, I forget to worry, you know, and that was the, one of the greatest boxers of all time, heavyweight boxer, heavyweight champion, um, within the roaring twenties, um, you know, the Manasseh Mahler. Um, and that's a guy who had a lot of pressure on him. You know, he was coming after, uh, he he was, he was boxing after, um, Jackson, after Willard. Um, and he was just this tiny guy from, from Colorado. Um, and all of a sudden took the country by storm. And he said that, uh, you know, I just throw myself into different interests and that's how I forget to worry. You know, movement relieves tension. So as long as you just keep yourself doing something, you're too busy to think about the, uh, negativity. Action is the enemy of thought. <laughs> like, oh, very good. Who's that? that mo- no, I heard that um, in a movie, actually. Okay. Really obscure movie. And that quote's always stuck with me. It was a bad movie, but I always remember, I think it was an Anthony Hopkins movie, and he said that in the movie. And I'm like, I'm never forgetting that because it's so true. That's how yeah. I, like at work, I'm always in mo- moving and doing stuff because I don't want to start like thinking about, I'm like a classic overthinker. And me too suffered from anxiety back in the day so i always try to like do be doing something yeah 
Yeah, uh, no, it, it's it's insane. Like you develop all these coping mechanisms, chewing gum, listening to music, you know, uh, finding something to relieve the tension by constantly moving and doing something. So yeah, to your point, Matt, to dovetail that, um, yeah, definitely, it, it's just fantastic to always be active. Yeah. And, you know, they say the day you stop learning is the day you die. Don't know who said that. Just came to me naturally. Just stuck. Add on to these quotes there. <laughs> add on to the quotes. <laughs> I had to come up with something there. But, no, it is important, like, to always be, like, putting yourself into, like, different areas. Or I love, like, always learning new things. Like, I took up plant care in 2020. Like, now we're, we got our little garden going. Like, just started, you know, get those peppers in the ground before the last frost. And, um post on instagram a few days ago there like i did an oil painting with my uncle for the first time i had mm. literally zero artistic abilities when it comes to visual arts and like really happy with the turnout so it is possible to develop skills and i thought that of that as like an impossible skill to learn like i'm like i said happy with how it turned out so it is important to keep putting yourself in these different situations where like you might have a like a little interest but maybe you're not sure about if you have what it takes so just take that leap of faith and uh give it your all and you know you might develop a new hobby in Dallas one hobby that you didn't list that I was kind of going to ask you about is if you read or not what you do with school but I can definitely see you picking up reading just for fun once you once you graduate like you're definitely going to continue to learn in your field just as a hobby I feel like well in between semesters you know you do have some downtime you have about like a month in between semesters so um and I'm trying to graduate as fast as possible, so I'm taking summer terms as well. So, yeah, so you definitely, uh, you know, get a, a very small amount of time in between. But it's it's definitely important to keep up your chops and keep reading and keep that momentum. Um, and not just for like that purpose, but I enjoy reading as well. And a couple books I can recommend is Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, um, which is just an amazing book that encompasses just everything about who we are as a genome. Um, and then, uh, civilization and its discontents by Sigmund Freud. And then my most recent, uh, outing to chapters was, uh, to acquire, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood written by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, and that was an amazing read, fantastic read. And essentially what it is, is it's just a continuation of the movie starring Margot Robbie, Leonardo DiCaprio, and of course, Brad Pitt. And that was just a fantastic read. It, it, it literally just gives you all that those deleted scenes that you've been dying to see, you know, about uh, Cliff and Rick Dalton. Uh, it's fantastic read. And Quentin Tarantino, he is more than anything a writer. Yeah. So reading for sure, big time. Love it. But yeah, you're right. I, I do read a lot in the textbook. You know, I, I definitely keep my nose deep in that thing. But uh, and, and it's tough during school to mix subjects and to read into like, you know, uh, the movie genre or something like that. You know, it's just good to stay consistent. So I I generally don't read, um, you know, extracurricular books uh, during the semester, but in between, oh yeah, I I get right into Rich Dad, Poor Dad or Rich's Man in Babylon. Yeah. Get right on. No, I'll definitely check out like Sapiens for sure. Now you're like the third person to recommend it to me in like a short span of time. So just re-upped my library wow, really? card. So uh, I'll, I'll be snagging that thing upon my next visit there for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I it's an amazing I, for me. I would say it's life changing. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah, I'm not exaggerating. I'm... Like I don't know. It's just like it opens your mind up to so much. 
No, I've had that book yeah. recommended before. Like like Eric, like I need to get I need to get on it. I'm not reading anything right now, so Audible, if you guys are working a lot and you guys have downtime during work, Audible I've heard is a great avenue, a great conduit, uh, for you know, audiobooks and digesting books without having to sit down and finding a quiet place to read or anything. So mm-hmm. yeah. That's a good call. Any movies to recommend, Dallas? Like we focus on your letterbox writing not I'm necessarily sure if we the have movies time. you're writing about just like a couple of recommendations you want to fire off anything you've seen recently thoughts on anything new recently the last movie i saw was shogun assassin uh nice. that was fantastic <laughs> uh if you guys are familiar with like if you guys are familiar with like afro samurai meets, kind of, it, um, vaguely just through like rap music okay. basically i've never seen those movies though <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, you know, this, like, uh, solo Ronin, you know, who kind of, anyway, I'll let you guys uh, experience it for yourself. Um, I'm not going to give you, uh, well, it does have my guaranteed stamp of approval on Letterboxd, but, uh, so that speaks for itself. But High Plains Drifter, oh, there, there it is, go. Matt. Yeah. So Matt knows know exactly what I'm talking about. It's such a classic. It's such a fantastic outing uh, to see just, like, Something that is not poetic in any way. It's literally just a slasher. Like you just, a guy kicking ass and taking names. Um, it's so badass. Bad to the bone, in fact. Um, and then some good recommendations. Well, uh, let's, I'll try to be topical because Shogun Assassin is such a blast from the past. Um, the Batman was fun. I saw that in theaters. Um, that was a intense experience. I loved what Matt Reeves did with Gotham. To make it so mm-hmm. dark and depraved, I had never seen Gotham in that way. Um, not from Christopher Nolan, not from Zack Snyder. Uh, Zack Snyder it touched on it a little bit, but it was just so dark in Matt Reeves's realm. Um, so I thought the Batman was cool. Um, obviously, it had some detracting factors, but uh, it's pretty tough when you're automatically sizing it up against Christopher Nolan's. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Death on the Nile. That was that was interesting, but I'm hoping that just works into because obviously you know Death on the Orient Express was such a success, um, and it is essentially gave Kenneth the the funding he needed for Belfast, which I thought was really awesome too. If you're a guy with an Irish heritage like I am, uh, you know it's something to kind of uh, escape into and be like, oh wow, you know this is what Ireland was like. But, uh, yeah, so Belfast is good, The Batman, good, Death on the Nile, fun date movie, take your girlfriend, take your wife, uh, your wife, uh, boyfriend, whoever, partner, um, and check it out for sure, it's, it's fun, it's fun to guess, you know, uh, who's the killer, etc., but uh, my biggest recommendation, I think, would have to be High Plains Drifter, uh, High Plains Drifter, directed by Clint Eastwood, um, starring Clint Eastwood, now that, that movie is action-packed fun as well dark um but also it has like a hidden meaning within it um which you need to discover for yourself so you know to to really determine what's what's real and what's not and you know what the ending means um so that's something that's really really fun to chew on yeah okay good combo platter of recommendations there dallas i've wanted to check out belfast there so i'll definitely check that one out and like High Plains Drifter, never heard of it, Matt. I'm assuming you've seen it. Oh yeah, I love Clint Eastwood and westerns, and oh, and I, I my biggest takeaway from High Plains Drifter was like what Clint does, what Clint Eastwood's character does at the beginning. Like it's not like uh, like you said, dark, 
it's it's really good. Yeah, I'm I mean, saying, I think yeah. we all we all remember that haystack scene. All right, that's what. It, yeah, and it's. Uh, not, I don't want to give too much away, but like it, there's some horror elements to the movie in terms of like, I don't want to say the word because then it's gonna like be a could be a spoiler. But there's different interpretations of the movie too. So, anyways, yeah. Yeah. exactly. That's the fun part is like you know you yeah. get to debate afterwards with the people yeah. who you just watched it with, and you're like, well, does this mean that? And does that mean this? Mm -hmm. uh, and you get to really talk about. And those are the best types of movies for me are the movies where you really afterwards get to talk about it. You know, instead of just coming out of a movie and being like, oh, that was cool, you know, that was action-packed, but, you know, there's nothing really to digest or divulge, you know? Well, I was going to ask you, yeah. Dallas, about a movie that's kind of cool and also has, like, it, there's some questions up in the air, up for a dissection, if you will. I just rewatched Dune for the first time since seeing it in theaters. What were your thoughts on that movie? Directed by another Canadian legend, Denis Villeneuve, um, who directed one of my favorite movies um, uh, of all time. I, I, Prisoners, right? Did oh, he do yep. Prisoners? Yep. Yeah, Prisoners was just incredible. I thought you were going to mm. say Aeson Z for a second there, but yeah, or, yeah. I love Prisoners. Too. Oh, that movie was insane. Yeah. That was insane. <laughs> uh, does one plus one equal yeah. two? Oh my gosh, that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, what a great catch there. And then also yeah. The Enemy with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yep. Um, or was it The Enemy? Which is, yeah, The yeah, Enemy, right? The Enemy, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, anyway, Dune, uh, I thought Timothy Chalamet's outing was fantastic. I'm a big Chalamet fan, to be honest. You know, he, he was amazing in, uh, which is a Beautiful Boy. Uh, I haven't seen Call Me By Your Name yet, but I, I, I'm being told it's also a fantastic performance by Chalamet. Mm -hmm. um so he's he's fantastic in it and, and i'm not sure if you guys have read the book but i have yep yeah. and it's a massive realm it's a big world to build you know so it's tough for uh villeneuve to build that world in such a short span especially when he knows he's fighting to get the funding for uh, a sequel you know so he needs to kind of pick up the pace fast and skip over a lot of the minute details, you know, that encompass uh, the realm of Dune. But uh, but I thought for what it was, uh, it was such an impressive enhancement from David Lynch's uh, Dune. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have seen the original Dune by David Lynch, but it is so dated. Although, you know, the performances are fine, the special effects are atrocious. Um, you know, it's like South Park quality animation at some points. It's so bad. And so, you know, to, to go from that and you have like that as your standard and then to like expand on it with Villeneuve's, it's so fantastic to finally see that realm really be brought to life with some real funding behind it. You know, some real production. Um, so I, I'm excited for the sequel. Um, you know, I, there was nothing that really took away too much. There were like some small details that, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys have talked about it, you know, in your, in your friend groups and stuff, you know, there's some stuff, but I, don't get hung up on the small details. You know, overall, it was a, a fantastic, uh, fantastic experience. Has to be seen in, in the big screen though, I guess. Yeah. Say. Yeah, I agree. Couple couple of quick questions uh your favorite tarantino movie and christopher nolan movie if that's even so, possible to answer 
Yeah, I'm a big Tarantino guy. I'm not sure what the Tarantino fans call themselves, Tarantinoites. I'm not sure, but whatever it is, I'm it. Me too. That is such <laughs> a tough one. Tarantino is probably the hardest one to answer for that uh, because, you know, yeah, honestly, Reservoir Dogs was so fantastic, but Pulp Fiction was just, especially, like, if you also include the fact of, like, just how expansive it was in the era that it came out in. Like, nobody was doing film uh, like Tarantino did with Pulp Fiction. Um, Mm -hmm. So it was so unique for the era. Uh, So I'm going to have to give you, like, a crappy answer and kind of, like, include, like, maybe two tied. Um, But I'll just say, like, ah, it's impossible. Like, in Glorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Pulp Fiction... In my opinion, are masterpieces. I've okay. watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood at least six times, Pulp Fiction ten times, Django Unchained five times, and Glorious Bastards probably double. Um, so it's so, like I could pick apart each movie and what what makes it perfect. Okay. But I'll just give you, you know, like if you put a gun against my head, I'll say Inglorious Bastards. Um, oh. And if you ask me why, I could go on, uh, but it's mainly due in part to um, Christoph uh, Waltz's iconic character. That's a part that will never be seen again. Um, It's just something that's so unique, somebody who is such a fantastic linguist. And that was Christoph Waltz's, like, starring role, like, his his breakout role. Um, I think everything considered, it just makes that movie so incredible. Um, and Matt, I got so wrapped up. Oh, yeah. Oh, Christopher Nolan, right? Um, yeah. Hmm. I'd have to say The Dark Knight. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I think this, the writing on that is just impeccable. Uh, I, I don't think you can beat the writing. Like, so he took a superhero who, who on a piece of paper is a goofball, a, a, a rich playboy who dresses up as a bat, and goes and punches people in the face, essentially, and solves crimes. On paper, it sounds ridiculous. If you saw somebody in real life dressed as a bat, you'd laugh them out of the street. Like, it would be ridiculous. Um, but he makes it into, like, we're, we're coming from Batman, who, where it was taken almost in a ridiculous nature, from Adam West, uh, from Ted Burton's uh, uh, directorial uh, outings with the Batman. It was done, like, with Kapow and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger's iconic line, what happened to the dinosaurs, uh, the Ice Age, and then he freezes everybody. You know, yeah. it's so campy, it's so cheesy, because it's an ode to the comics. But then you have Christopher Nolan, who comes out with this dark, grimy, real, very real, very tangible um, character that is Batman. And then you have, um, of course, the late... Uh, the late, um, why am I blanking on his name right now? Heath but, Ledger. Uh, Heath Ledger, yes, the late Heath Ledger uh, as the Joker. That was just uh, somebody who clearly absorbed the role, um, did not take it lightly, um, and gave us something. Who, once again, a guy who dresses like a clown, um, you know, it's just kind of, on paper, it sounds weird, uh, but then you see it brought to life. And in that way, it, it was so it was such a great combination of like comic meets real world reality um, and everything was explained. Everything was believable. Uh, yeah. The, I think for those reasons, uh, the Dark Knight 
um, is my favorite Christopher Nolan. So many good points, Dallas. And just like kind of to wrap this Dark Knight conversation up there, Matt and I had a little debate about whether or not the Dark Knight belongs in the greatest movies of all time conversation. Just want to get your input, yes or no. Do you think it belongs in that conversation? I think it already is. Uh, I think if you go on IMDb, um, yeah, that was a contentious movie... topic that it's like number three all time on IMDb, but do you think it should be put up against these like great dramas of all time? Well, pardon my friend. If I can just speak on the international movie database for, for a few seconds, if I could wipe my ass is pardon the French with IMDb and rotten tomatoes, I would, um, those ratings mean close to nothing to me. Um, I, I judge a movie based off of the reviews from people who I trust and their opinions. Um, but it, the saturated market of online movie reviews is to be taken uh, like a grain of salt. It's a drop in a bucket. Um, but yes, 100%, it deserves to be in the top, what would you say, top five? Just greatest movies just, of all time. But yeah, I could see top five for sure. Well, yeah. That's gr- ridiculous. I, I, top five, it's, it, that's, that's tough. That's a big argument. That's a big debate for sure. But for sure one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, how can you seamlessly transform such a campy character and bring him to real life in such a believable way? I mean, I I believed he could exist when I saw that movie. I believed this could be a reality um, versus something that I clearly just saw was depicted off of a comic book. Uh, it was somebody who I looked up to. The writing was inspirational. It was something you could really grab onto and use in your daily life to inspire you um, and others. Uh, it was something that just hit me in my soul and my 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 being. Uh, and yeah, I'll never forget that movie, and I'll, I'll watch it probably once a year. Sign of a great movie if that it hits you in your soul. Come on, let's go. It's, it's a great All movie. I just. Put- it's a great movie. I just put a thousand movies ahead of it. That's all. Like that's my that was my point on that episode. That's like, the thing. And it's like Matt, you're completely on base. You're 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 shooting par because there are a thousand incredible movie, greatest movies of all time. It's like to say the greatest movie of all time. It's like yeah. saying you're the heavyweight championship of the world. Let's be honest. In five years, it's going to be a different guy. You know, like it's a constantly evolving uh, thing. So yeah, like it's a it's a huge market, um, but oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, for me for me personally, and like a, like movies, like all movies, they're subjective. So some yeah. movies are gonna hit somebody specifically deeper than others. Like clearly for me, it hit home. But I grew up with comic books. I grew up with Batman. Uh, I always looked up to superheroes. I grew up watching Justice League um, on the TV before going mm-hmm. to school, and so Batman for me was uh, next to. Uh, was next to uh, the Holy Father, yeah. you know. So, anyways, we don't need to get I'm, into it anymore. Yeah. Though, we, just we, yeah. curious as to Please. what you thought about it. Seeing as you're also a cinephile and you write reviews on Letterbox that are going to start getting more likes now that we've built this movement up for you. I'm back on there now. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, Dallas. What what is your Letterbox, by the way? Let's get this out. It's now, just. So. It should just be Dallas Dunn. I think one it's word. It's just okay. my name. Your name. Dallas Dunn. Um, and yeah, don't feel obligated to like my reviews. Um, I don't do it for the likes. I don't do it for the people. Um, I do it for my own uh, selfish need to escape from reality. So yeah, I, Letterboxd for me is just fun. Uh, you know, I read some other reviews. I find out about a lot of movies through Letterboxd that I haven't even heard of. 
um, going through other people's lists and stuff like that. Um, and I think it's a great app. I think it's re- really fun. It's a lot better than the other apps I see out there. Mm-hmm. I don't have Instagram. I barely have Facebook. I was very surprised to learn that I had this Facebook account that I made when I was 13 about my cat. Uh, embarrassing, but uh, it is what it is. Shout out Tinker. <laughs> yeah, Tinker, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not a big social media guy. I, you know, Like I said, I don't have a lot of time, but... If Letterbox it wasn't for the plot, I feel like I'd be off social media, to be honest. But, like, it is good really? to connect with people. Like, for hockey, like, I run my my, hockey, my beer league hockey team. Like, I got to get the times out to the boys and um, just, you know, connect with friends. Like, get guests on the pod. And it's so such a valuable tool to have. But, yeah, I do think I wouldn't be on as much if, I, if we didn't do the pod. Yeah, and also I think it's a great marketing tool for yeah, the pod exactly. as well. I think it gets it out to the people. You know, it's the modern day town crier, so it, it's it's a fantastic avenue to just release your pod out to the populace and have them eat it up, as I know they do, because uh, you know, easy conversations is taking oh. the world by storm, uh, step at a so, time, brick by brick, time, brick by brick. You know, yeah, yeah, man, it's been absolutely awesome to have you on here. Extremely informative and very well spoken. It was really fun to learn about the field that you're in. Yeah, I mean, thanks a lot for joining us. Matt, any final thoughts for Dallas? Yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dallas, for coming on. Uh, I actually learned this. This might be the episode where I've learned the most. Like, you were very, uh, like, I, it was very educational for me. And I, it was, it, it, the time went by so fast. I could have listened to you for another, like, three hours just because it was all brand new to me. It was all brand new to me, right? And I was learning a lot. And I love learning. So thank you so much. If I can just say, uh, it was an absolute pleasure and honor uh, to be on the pod. I've been itching to get on. Hope to be on again. And Eric, it's always a fantastic time seeing you. Absolutely. You know, you're a fantastic guy. And I, I just absolutely love what you guys are doing uh, with this podcast. Um, and I just wish you both the best. Thanks, Dallas. Really appreciate that. And Thank yeah, you. hopefully next time we get you on, we'll be in person too. Yeah, I love in person. Love in person. Okay, um, have a great Thursday. Uh, Take care. Okay, will do. Okay, bye now. So yeah, thanks a lot, Dallas, for joining us. That was a blast having you on. I hope you all enjoyed that. So now we're going to wrap up with some random recommendations. We didn't give you any last time. We are a bit in a rush, so got a couple of things listed. I'm going to start us off, Matt, and actually just by saying a few of them I mentioned with Dallas. So the library card. I re-upped my library card last weekend. Cost me a dollar. Best money I ever spent. Just I rented out two books, one in French and one in, which is Matthew McConaughey's uh, autobiography called Green Lights. And the other one is called Hippie by Paolo Coelho which is in French. Yeah, there's a gold mine of stuff to go off of now. Like, I'm going to get this Sapiens book. It's going to be my next book from the library. 100% recommend getting a library card. It's It'll save you a bunch of money on books because I don't know about you, Matt, or anyone else listening, but once I'm done with the book, it's very rare that I will reread it. Yeah. It is super fun that we have, like, a nice little bookshelf upstairs with a bunch of books that I've read and that Andy's read, but realistically, they don't get that much usage other than just looking good. So... Get that library card, rent your books out, and you mm-hmm. also feel like that's kind of like your little timeline to get the book read, and it'll just 
motivate you to read more. And like, I'm trying to hit my goal of 20 books in a year. I forget if I said that on the pod, but that's what I'm trying to hit. And, um, I think by re-upping the library card, I'm definitely gonna be able to hit that with ease. First recommendation. Last time I had my library card, I'd be, I was going there, but like renting a lot of movies and you know what? They had a gold mine of foreign films there. And I just remember like renting like as much as I could and bring, and yes, it, it gives you like a, a deadline. So I'm like, okay, I got to watch these by this time. It was fun. Exactly. And yeah, books just become wall ornaments uh, at the end of the day and they're fun to look at, but you rarely reread a book. So that's a good, uh, good recommendation. Yeah. Solid. Um, I'm, I was going to talk about three movies, but I won't like, I won't ramble on. The first one is the, the Netflix one with Ryan Reynolds, the Adam project. Mm. I knew exactly, I mean, being a Ryan Reynolds movie, I knew exactly what I was getting into in terms of, like, the humor and, uh, like, what I was going to get. But this one had, like, a very futuristic story, a lot of time travel, and it it was really good, Eric. It was was funny. It was never boring. Very fun watch and serious at some points. Like, it was a very touching movie. Very good. Same guy who did, like, Free Guy, and um, he's done a bunch of movies, this director, Sean Levy. Um, so yeah, Adam Project, I recommend that. The next one is Nightmare Alley, Guillermo del Toro's new movie, nominated for, uh, Best Picture, I believe. Kate Blanchett, uh, Bradley Cooper reunion from your movie. Yeah. Let's go. And Willem Dafoe's in it. Willem Dafoe, Rooney Mara, Tony Collette, uh, Richard Jenkins. It was a really good movie, Eric. Um, I, I, I hadn't seen a trailer. I didn't know what I was getting into. First hour is like a carnival movie, then it evolves into something else. Um, Bradley Cooper was great, I thought. It's a movie where a lot of it, like, they don't, like, throw it in front of your face. Like, this is exactly what's going on. This is exactly what this person's about. No, you got to figure it out and, like, use your brain. And you have to pay attention. It's not, like, a super fast pace. Like, it's it's not slow, but there's a lot, like, to unpack. And you have to, like, be on the ball. I loved how it ended. Um really good i don't want to say too much really really like good dark movie not a horror film not a weird movie like shape of water or anything like not supernatural but like just a really good like acting like great acting great script great setting type of movie it's shot superbly too so nightmare alley i remember seeing a trailer for it at uh, the french yeah. dispatch it was coming out around the same time or oh, somewhere okay. anyways and i remember like it looked super interesting it looked dark and like great cast I was yeah. definitely interested. I'm going to check that one out. It's on Disney Plus already, right? Yeah. Correct. That's for cool. free. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to check that out soon when I get back in yeah. the movie game. <laughs> but don't, like, it's two and a half hours long almost. Like, don't don't watch it when you're, like, thinking of other things or you're rushed. Like, take make sure you're in the mood and you have the time and, like, grab a drink, like, some snacks and a drink. And don't just, watch like, it in increments, th- basically. No, and put throw the subtitles on. I mean, we always do, right? Automatic, both anyways. Yeah. So it's good stuff. Okay, the next movie, I, I'm I'm glad I'm gonna mention this movie because it's the same director of Short Term Twelve, actually, which nice. we talked about on the pod. This guy, like, um, oh, frig, I forget his name. It's like De- he has a three name. It's like Destin Creighton or something like that. Let me just uh, Google that. But uh, he he actually directed Shang Chi. That was his newest movie. Destin Daniel Creighton. Okay. He directed Short Term Twelve. Shang-Chi and the movie I'm about to talk about called Just Mercy. Just Mercy is the movie with Michael B. Jordan and uh, Jamie Foxx. I think I watched it on Netflix based on a true story. It's a lawyer and a, and it's about convicts on death row and lawyers fighting for their lives. And like these convictions were based on like the most ridiculous things and no one wants to fight for these people. 
and this is based on like on a famous instance of like bullshit testimony led to this man being incarcerated and it's about like trying to reverse that process jamie fox was phenomenal in this movie michael b jordan's always like great and he no exception here but like jamie fox really steals the show and it was a really like good drama and emotional movie and i highly recommend it just mercy not like super action-packed or anything it's just good good dialogue scenes and just good storytelling at its at its core so I recommend those three movies there. Nice. Yeah. Brie Larson reunited with the director of yeah. Short Term 12 as That's well. That's right. Nice. No, I remember seeing trailers for it, and it definitely looked like an intense movie, but I'll add it to the list as well. Just Mercy. Definitely. Again, I also, like, just to call back to our conversation with Dallas earlier there, I rewatched Dune, and we didn't really fully get into it. Not that I need to re-get into it completely there, but... I appreciated it even more after reading the book and like seeing it for the second time with subtitles this time. I could completely understand what was going on this time. What an adaptation to the book. Honestly, like, like Dallas said, there's so much world building that needs to be done in such a short amount of time. People will say a short amount of time. It's almost a three-hour movie. Yeah, it would have even needed more time to fully establish everything, but Denis Villeneuve did a perfect job at create building this world in the first installment of a hopefully a trilogy really like the movie again like i said strongly recommend a rewatch for people who weren't sure or watch it again with subtitles on because i swear to god like every time lady jessica speaks couldn't understand anything in the theater at home i was grasping everything because i was reading what she was saying just mumbling the whole time but good performance and all that but no great adaptation pumped for dune part two my second recommendation is my family and I, we all went to see this comedian at the Canadian Tire Center a few weeks ago called Sebastian Maniscalco. I went in blind, having never seen any of his Netflix specials. So I also haven't seen them, but I'm recommending his Netflix specials. Sebastian <laughs> Maniscalco it was absolutely hilarious. What a show. Love seeing a nice comedy show in an arena like that too, where everyone, like, I don't know how many people were there. I'm just going to throw the number... 10,000 out there it could be more or less I don't know but just a bunch of people who are all there to laugh have a good time forget about COVID and all that it was like just a really good atmosphere and this guy made a lot of like Ottawa and Canada specific jokes so I know that if you've been to the show like myself you, and you watch some of his specials you won't recognize any jokes because it was all original content for the Ottawa and okay. and um, yeah definitely recommend can't go wrong with a good comedy special every now and then too that's my, uh, those are my two movie, I guess, recommendations. Rewatch Dune and Sebastian Maniscalco Netflix comedy specials. What What's his style, Eric? Like, is he vulgar? Is he like observations? Is he like physical? Like, does he move all around a lot? Or I mean, not that vulgar. So I was going to say a bit of everything there, but no, it wasn't that vulgar. Definitely observational. I think a lot of comedians are and a lot of expression, like a lot of physical comedy, like his faces are really funny making like exaggerated some exaggerated movements I, I don't really want to give a comparable to anyone okay. out there but just a really funny guy um yeah comedy nice. shows are normally like just good stuff he had a bit about hamilton the the musical it just absolutely killed me like just how he he said like 
people talking about Hamilton, recommending it to him, are like, oh, I've seen it three times and it changed the way I view life. And I feel like that's so accurate. Like, people who talk about Hamilton rave about it. Like, it's this larger-than-life thing and it changed how they think. Anyways, he, his follow-up to that was, right away I know, like, I'm not going to like this. <laughs> it's just pretty funny. So, no, it's... um. I recommend Good. check out his specials, or if you get the chance to see him live, do it. Yeah. Sweet. Again, Dallas, thanks so much for joining us. It was awesome to have you on and learn about the field that you're in, key workers in group home setting. Matt, any final notes for the listeners? Thank you, every single person, for listening, and I hope everyone learned a lot today from Dallas, like I, I, I sure did, and hope everybody stays safe out there and enjoy the nice weather we're getting right now, so... Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. Stay tuned for episodes dropping every two Mondays. Continue to stay safe. Love you all. And yeah, peace.